All right, so once again, every week we're faced with new weird sound possible problems and hurdles <laughs> with trying to do this podcast remotely, but it seems like it's working okay. So this week, the idea is The Man from UNCLE, because we're going through different spy shows. We did The Avengers last week, which was much, much weirder than I remembered, although it could just be that one episode that we watched that was particularly weird. But The Man from UNCLE, I know the name, because it's obviously a memorable kind of weird name for a show, but I've never seen it. So uh, I guess I'll hand this over to you. What do you know about The Man from UNCLE? The Man from UNCLE, one of those spy type things that was very big in, I'm going to say the late 60s, 66, 67-ish maybe, American. Oh God, I forget the name of the main guy uh, who is not your typical spy looking guy. Like he's not a real handsome guy. He's handsome, but he's not. He's a very unusual uh, chisel type face with a ski slope nose. And then, oh God, I should remember his name, but I can't, the main fella. And then his cohort is uh, David McCallum, who later is in uh, in CIS and oh, any number of stuff. And he plays uh, uh, Ilya Kuryakin. That's the, our first introduction to Russian spies who had kind of gone over to the other side. It was very, very popular. But I, it doesn't seem to have that same mystery that the Avengers did where you haven't you can't even figure out what's going on. It's a more uh, of the American genre where as things unfold, you can kind of follow the plot. Whereas in the Avengers, you're like watching it saying like, what, who are these people and what's happening? And, and it's only in the last of it when it all comes together that you get your answers. Um, very enjoyable. I have good memories of the man from uncle. But yeah, that's uh, I guess, cause I do have some notes here about man from uncle. Yeah. I didn't know either that it was American, but, but that makes sense. You know, that is kind of the classic thing we often seem to say about not that the American shows are bad. It's just that the British ones are more complicated, <laughs> harder to follow. And I'm shocked that you remembered Ilya Kuryakin. Yeah, because that's a seriously weird name. But the other guy, his name is Napoleon Solo. Right. Which that's right on the edge of like, is that a cool name? Or is that, you know, it's a little bit like one of those, like, my name is Runestar Battleaxe, you know, like a name that a 12-year-old would come up with for a very cool guy. <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's a little on the line. There's also a main man, an older man, big, heavy, walrus-type face, uh, who is the head honcho. You always have to have some big head honcho who's in charge of all these spies. And typical for, like, James Bond, you know, there's the main guy there too. Um, there's always one of those guys. Anyway, they have one too in this one. Yeah. And I wasn't sure what episode to choose. So I just grabbed the first episode because Hey, why not? So I'm not sure how much Ilya will be in it or if he is in it, he probably is. I'm not sure, but it does seem like from what I read, he wasn't initially a main character, but the viewers liked him so much. They kind of insisted that he get a bigger role. So because I remember when you described this to me last week, you said this was, it's two guys who are kind of even or equals. But uh, unfortunately, maybe because we're watching the first one, it might just mostly be Napoleon Solo in this one. But, you know, I just figured like, uh, if, especially since I don't know anything about this show, like, uh, let's start at the start, you know. But we might miss out a little on old Ilya, but I guess we'll see. 
it's the typical formula that you see in in Maxwell Smart too, which of course is the spoof that came later. But you've got the chief, and you've got Maxwell, and you've got Agent Ninety Nine. Man from Uncle is the same. You got the head honcho man who has the walrus face. Leo, Leo Carroll, I think, is the actor who played that part. And then you've got Napoleon Solo, and of course his sidekick, Ilya Kiryakin. You always have seemed to have the three in a lot of these spy shows. Very formulaic. I'm actually, I'm a little surprised to hear that this show, you know, when you say like Get Smart, for example, is more of a comedy. I guess if I had to guess, like not knowing anything about it, I just feel like The Man from Uncle is a strange name for a serious show. Because like that is a, it's like a weird, silly sounding title from the outside. What a strange name for a show. But Uncle stands for, it's, it's abbreviations for United, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I know that it is the initials for some organization. Yeah, it looks like it's United Network Command for Law and Enforcement. There. <laughs> but yeah, so I've got some basic info about this show. So I guess I'll just do the, the rundown. The Man from Uncle is an American spy fiction television series. First broadcast on NBC, the series follows secret agents Napoleon Solo, played by Robert Vaughn, and Ilya Kuryakin, played by David McCallum, who work for a secret international counter-espionage and law enforcement agency called Uncle. Uh, four seasons, 105 episodes from 1964 to 1968. The first season was produced in black and white and the remaining in color, so we get a black and white one. And the program was part of the spy fiction craze on television. By 1966, there were nearly a dozen imitators. Several episodes were successfully released to theaters as B-movies or double features. Yeah, and I looked into that a bit. So they would take an episode and they would basically film a little more stuff that was a bit more adult than TV would allow to kind of bring it more into line with a James Bond movie. And yeah, they put out episodes of this show as cheap B-movies in theaters, and it actually did okay. That's kind of weird. You don't really hear about that happening. There was also a spinoff series, The Girl from Uncle, that only ran for a season. Did you ever see that? Yes, I'd forgotten The Girl from Uncle, but yes, I did see The Girl. I did see that. I don't remember much about it. It didn't, it was okay, I don't, but I don't remember. It did not obviously have great impact on me. Yeah, and I've got a little more about that in a sec, but, uh, the series won the Golden Globe Award for Best TV Show in 1966. Originally, Solo was the focus of the series, but David McCallum as Russian agent Ilya Kuryakin drew so much enthusiasm from fans that the agents became a team. And uh, speaking of the name, so Ian Fleming, creator of James Bond, contributed to the series after being approached by co-creator Norman Felton, and Fleming proposed two characters, Napoleon Solo so I wonder if this insinuates that he's the one who came up with the name Napoleon Solo, maybe. But also April Dancer, and she was the character who later appeared in The Girl from Uncle. So the initial pitch was much more like The Avengers, or later Avengers, it was a man and a woman. But instead, they decided, not even a man and a man, they decided just the man, just Napoleon Solo, and then that became the Russian guy as well, and... And the female character went on to her spinoff. But that's kind of interesting that the first pitch, especially coming from the James Bond guy, is that the team would have a, a, a woman in it. And the other co-creator, Sam Rolfe, 
said that his idea was to create a kind of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland world where mundane everyday life would intersect with the looking glass fantasy of international espionage, which lay just beyond. So the idea of the Uncle Universe was one where each week an innocent would get caught up in a series of fantastic adventures in a battle of good versus evil. So there weren't necessarily a lot of recurring characters, but one of the common things they did was pick somebody who's not part of this world, who's an innocent person from the outside, and they would get swept up in the adventure. So I think that's uh, something to look out for, I guess, is that that was one of their common tropes in this show, is the person who's not involved getting pulled in for the week. So yeah, any other uh, thoughts about Man From U.N.C.L.E. before we watch the first episode? Just one thing. It's not unusual that their pitch would have been a man and a woman if Ian Fleming was involved, because when you take the James Bond series, there's always some woman, some sexy woman who's who's uh, connected up with James, and he's the main man, of course, but he's always got some woman in tow. Yeah, I guess that's true, because uh depends, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I actually don't know that much about James Bond. Like in my mind, I think of you know, he's the dude, he's James Bond, he's 007, or sometimes 006 shows up or whatever. I guess I've never really been clear what the role of the women in James Bond is, but I guess they don't just show up to be to be pretty, shag. right? They do stuff. <laughs> yeah, they they just like don't do, show up to be They do shag. take part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I guess they don't. But yeah, honestly, I've, I've only seen, geez, I don't know, Goldeneye? Is that the only James Bond movie I've ever seen? Maybe. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things you feel like you know about. And then when push comes to shove, it's like, wait a minute, have I never watched James Bond? (laughs) So yeah, maybe I don't have a clear idea about Ian Fleming. Pussy galore, and uh, she's the only one that comes to mind. But every one of them, when you watch them, there is some beautiful, intelligent woman who really helps him, helps James through solving whatever the evil is that he's got to deal with. So that is very fitting that the original spiel for this one, for Man From U.N.C.L.E., if it was, if Ian Fleming was involved, oh yeah, he'd want some woman in there instead of some man. So yeah, I guess we're going to watch Man From U.N.C.L.E., Season 1, Episode 1. It's called The Vulcan Affair. was pretty exciting it had lots of action in it uh flames of steam murder i looked up a little bit about that while it was playing and uh it does seem that that episode is one of the ones that they expanded uh well i think it was it was supposed to be the pilot maybe so i think it was another case kind of like the mod squad where it was longer and they cut it down for tv so there is an expanded version that they put out in theaters in color also. They actually filmed that in color, but they switched it to black and white to conform with the other ones from that season. But I was thinking that I feel like that could be an, uh, an example of where having less time is good. Cause I thought that was, yeah, it was pretty decent. It was a pretty decent James Bond style adventure, but it certainly didn't need to be another half hour longer. You know, that was fine the way it was. So I feel like maybe we got the best version with the TV version. Exactly. I agree. 
And it was easier to follow, too, because the problem with the Mod Squad, you could tell it was a cut-down TV movie that they had cut down to an hour because it was sort of hard to follow. But this one had all the stuff. There's no problem (laughs) if we got the whole plot. Well, I guess we, at the start, we did have to confirm. So it was basically, it's like this, uh, the evil guy in this episode, he's like a, a dignitary from Africa. And in order to infiltrate him, this was the the innocent of the episode, was they find his old high school girlfriend. And I guess we were a little confused by that at first. Like, is that actually her or is it a lookalike? And then she's got her story about how she's a, a rich widower which isn't true and i don't know i guess at first it was like a little bit a little bit tough to follow but then it really kind of fell into place of just uh it was like you get tied up and it's like i I guess you expect to tell me your evil plan like i'm not telling you anything i just expect you to die (laughs) like it did become very james bondy by the end but see the difference between it and the avengers is we watched almost oh my god we were almost through the avengers and we really couldn't figure out what was going on or what the purpose of it was whereas this one right from the get-go there may be minor little things that you couldn't follow but for the most part you could follow the gist of what was happening and why it was happening yeah it's one of those things that i'm kind of uh, i guess the two ways of looking at it if you were to compare those two shows for example as a viewer i think i would prefer the avengers because it is more unusual and goes some weird places and is you know, less by the books. Where Man From Uncle, if I was a TV executive, I'd be like, yeah, put that on. Because not only is it, you know, it's uh, obviously like they were saying that was the style of the time with spy stuff, but it's obviously a really well-made one. It's a good version of that too. So yeah, fuck it, why not? I thought it was funny too. So the main guy, uh, Napoleon Solo. Yeah, Robert, Robert Vaughn, Vaughn, is that his name? Robert yeah, Vaughn. So yeah, so as we were watching... I was convinced that I knew him from somewhere and I couldn't remember where. So that's one thing that's funny because I've done this many times where you pull up somebody's uh, Wikipedia page or their internet movie database page and you can go through everything they ever did. So in this case, it started in the mid 50s and I'm going down the list and going down the list and going down the list, like literally dozens of things this guy's been in and I don't recognize any of them. But I just know eventually one of these names is going to stick out because I definitely know this guy. But I never would have remembered in a million years what it was from. It was from the 1998 movie Basketball that starred the two guys who made South Park. And it was just like a goofy comedy. But me and the neighborhood guys, I mean, we watched that movie like 20 times. So it's like, oh, of course, he's the cranky old businessman that that you know, is messing with them in the movie. And I think it's interesting too, like when people have a career that long, just how different generations of people know them for different stuff. Because my favorite example of that, there's this guy, Michael Rooker, who nowadays I think he's most famous for being in the Guardians of the Galaxy Marvel movies. But when I worked at a coffee shop in Vancouver in the mid 2000s, he came in to get a coffee. Like I met a few people, Ben Affleck came in, like just because people filmed stuff in Vancouver. And I was working with this lady named Anya, who was about 20 years older than me and was from somewhere like Eastern Europe. I, I don't remember exactly where, but, and when Michael Rooker came in, I was so impressed by this. He knew immediately, like he could tell that we both recognized him. He knew immediately where we both knew him from. 
So in Anya's case, I don't even know what it was because I never saw it. It was like some kind of like soap opera or something that he was in. But in my case, he looked at me and in a second, he knew that I knew him from Mallrats, the Kevin Smith movie, where there's this scene where they do a stink palm on him, where again, he's like the cranky old guy, the evil, evil dad that no one likes. They do this thing called the stink palm, where one of the characters who's been walking around the mall all day, because Mallrats is just about guys hanging out in a mall. He puts his hand in the back of his pants that had been all sweaty all day and rubs his hand in his butt crack and then uses that hand to offer Michael Rooker a chocolate covered pretzel because the fact that it's chocolate covered covers up that he's and yeah, it's a disgusting movie It's ridiculous, but he knew. He knew that I knew him from that. And he's like, eh, stink palm. And I was like, fuck yeah, dude. Like I, I couldn't believe how how quickly he knew exactly where we both knew him from. But anyway, that's a side story. But it's a similar thing in this case where you obviously knew this guy from Man From Uncle, but I knew him from Basketball, <laughs> which was far more lowbrow. But it's amazing how much this show, like in one hour, really pulled off James Bond type espionage without all that extra stuff that a James Bond movie would have. This, this movie did it all in one hour. I guess one thing about it, I will say is I was, I didn't love the lady, the innocent from the outside, I, I, but I was like, yeah, but that's okay. She's only in this one episode. She's not a regular. <laughs> you know? So if there was any weak link, she wasn't bad, but by the end, you know, she got so caught up in her espionage life of like pretending she was a wealthy super debutante or whatever. And meanwhile, you know, um, I mean, Napoleon is cool as a cucumber. This is his job. He does it every day. <laughs> so he's just like, get yourself together. <laughs> no, he was nice about it. But but you can see why that would have been a very, very popular show in the 1960s. And there was a lot of that kind of like good, good drama where they really didn't seem to be controlled by money. They had lots of sets, uh, lots of character development, change of scenery, like for a one hour show. Yeah. It, I mean, they really went all out. Yeah. That was one thing. I mean, they, they had all the, uh, the big party scenes with all the different people and stuff that were pretty elaborate, but even at the end when they were in the, uh, the evil guy's factory and, you know, he's got them chained to a, a pipe because he can't just kill them. It's like, yeah, we'll, we'll leave you here to die slowly from the steam and we'll explode your bodies tomorrow. No one will ever know. But, uh, but even in there, it's like all the equipment and the, uh, it, it really was of the era, but also felt very James Bondy of those like, uh, like panels with the lights on them and stuff. It's like the sixties style high tech that I don't know if that's really what a factory looked like back then, but that's certainly what a James Bond factory looked like back then. So yeah, they did a good job. And when you figure in those days, they wouldn't have just been able to go around with a little camcorder on their shoulder filming. They would have had to haul in the great big heavy cameras and the the big stages that they would be on and the big wheeled carts that they'd have to haul them around on. So, uh, I mean, it's amazing for a, for a one-hour show, the effort and just the complications that would have been involved in filming all that stuff. Yeah, I wonder if... Uh... I wonder if it's one of those things if you could chart it where obviously early TV was a little rough just because it was early. And then around this era, yeah, there's like all kinds of these shows that are really high quality and really hold up well, especially from America. And then I feel like by the time I started watching TV, you know, in the 
eighties, like TV was a lot, a lot crappier, <laughs> you know, but then TV had a big resurgence in like the mid two thousands up to 2010 or whatever, where every, all the, like TV was better than movies, you know, suddenly you're getting game of Thrones and all this stuff like that. But I wonder if you can, maybe it's like a, a wave up and down, you know, of like TV is like at its peak and then it gets kind of cruddy and then it gets up again and then it goes down a little. There's all kinds of the TV drama, though, in the, let's say, the 70s and the 80s that was tied into just a couple of scenes, like sets. They'd have a couple of sets, and they'd just move from set to set, back and forth. But these shows, these live-action shows here, I mean, they had outdoor scenes, they had city scenes, street scenes, car chase scenes, car dumping in the lake scene, the big factory the party scene with the big mansion. Like they kind of, yeah, it went all out in, in the 60s. It's so one thing I'm curious about is, uh, so the other guy, uh, David McCallum, I didn't remember him as well, but I think where I knew him from is there was this show called Sequest that was uh, basically, it was like Star Trek The Next Generation, but underwater. And that was a good example of like a show I used to like, but I went back and watched it and it's kind of crappy. So one thing I've been meaning to do some at some point on this podcast is I want to watch some of the shows that I remember from the 80s when I was a kid, like Airwolf and Street Hawk, you know, these shows that were just based around having a cool car and see if they're actually any good because I have a bad feeling that they're not good. <laughs> you know? But I guess we'll see. Well, I had a feeling about The Man from U.N.C.L.E. that it was good and all these years later... It's still good. <laughs>